Well, good cold morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good question for you. You're always asked, what's your IQ? This morning, I'm going to ask you, how's your RQ, your relational intelligence? Dr. Edward Howell is a senior lecturer at Harvard Medical School, and he writes that the two most powerful experiences in a person's life are achieving and connecting. He says, most of what grabs our attention, commands our energy, compels our help, falls into these two categories. He writes, connecting has to do with our relational world, falling in love, forming a deep friendship, hearing words of affection or affirmation from a parent or a child. That's connecting. Achieving has to do with the world of our accomplishments, winning a contest, pursuing a successful career, realizing a difficult goal. He goes on to point out that our society is increasingly devoted, obsessed with, and enslaved by achieving, and that compared to other societies and other times in history, he writes, we are increasingly bankrupt and impoverished when it comes to connecting relationally. He said, it's apparent with the disillusion of families, increased mobility and transients in our world, people sense that they're just not known. So there's a lack of community. Neighbors don't know each other. Well, achieving is a good thing. It's not a bad thing when it's done the right way for the right reasons. And when that's true, it's a great thing. But it's absolutely no substitute for relationship. I've never known anybody who failed continually at relationships, who lived isolated, lonely, and unconnected, who had no deep friendships, but had a meaningful, joy-filled life. Not a single one. So the 20th century was littered with people who achieved greatly with enormous wealth, power, fame, but they didn't have any relational intimacy. They didn't have time to connect with other human beings. They might have had a Rolodex full of acquaintances, but not a single friend, and every one of them died with bitter regrets and lonely. No matter how much they achieved, that was always the end. But on the other hand, I've never known anybody who succeeded greatly at relationships, who cultivated great friends, who were devoted to their family, who mastered the art of giving and receiving love, that had a bad life. Nobody. No matter how little money they had, no matter how low they were on somebody's success ladder, they understood relational greatness, and they had a great life. People who have deep friends, they laugh with and cry with, they fight with and forgive with, they dance with and grow with and live and die with. These are human beings who lead magnificent lives, whether or not they're ever noted in society. You know, they never live with regret on a deathbed about being devoted to their friends, their family, their children, not one. So being in meaningful meaningful relationships is life-giving to a human being. Now, I'm going to prove that in just a minute. One of the most famous research projects that's ever been done on relationships is called the Alameda County Study. It was headed by a Harvard social scientist. And it took place over a nine-year period. They tracked the lives of 7,000 people, 
Here's what they found. They found that most isolated people were three times more likely to die than the most relationally connected people. They discovered that people who had bad health habits, smoking, poor eating patterns, obesity, alcohol use, and so on, but who had strong relational connection, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but lived alone and were isolated. I guess it's better to eat chocolate with good friends than eat broccoli alone. (laughs) Amen. There's another study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. They took 276 volunteers and infected them with a common cold virus. In this study, they found that people with stronger emotional connections, deeper relationships, did four times better fighting off illness than those who lived isolated. Those with stronger relational connections were less susceptible to cold. They shed less virus, they produced significantly less mucus, and were relationally uh, connected and healthier people. I'm not making this up. Unfriendly people are actually literally snottier than friendly people. (laughs) That's a medical fact. Now, I believe studies like that are simply confirming at a biological level what the Bible has been teaching for a long time. You were made for relational connectedness. You were designed by God to love and to be loved, to know and to be known, to serve and to be served, to celebrate and to be celebrated. And to miss out on that is to miss out on the reason God made you. So whatever else you might achieve, whatever else you accomplish, however much stuff you get to pile up, however high you climb on the ladder, you miss this and you miss the reason why you were made. Without deep relational connectedness, you can't have fullness of life. And without relational connectedness, you can't know and serve God. This is why Scripture uh, points this out. Here's what John writes. Anyone who claims to love God whom they have not seen but fails to love people whom they have seen is a liar. Now, notice this significant phrase in the book of Genesis. This is the story of creation, and there's a phrase that just keeps reoccurring. It says, and God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. That's called by theologians the song of creation. And God said, let there be light, and it was so. There was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God said, let there be living things, and it was so. And the earth brought forth the living things, and God saw that it was good. That's called the song of creation. God said, it was so. God saw, it was good. So the writer is emphasizing something very, very powerful. Everything which exists is the effortless activity of an unimaginably powerful God. God said, it was so. God saw, it was good. Until we get to the final act of creation, that song comes to a screeching halt, and God creates a man in His own image and His own likeness. And He says to this man bearing His image and likeness, it's not good for man to be alone. So God looked at that man He made and He said, first time in creation, not good. Now that's not because God likes women better than men. It's also not because God said, I can do better. 
Come on. The writer's going after a radical comment that God is making on the fundamental importance of human relationships. Now, you think about this for just a moment. What's striking here in Genesis at creation is that the fall of Adam has not yet occurred. There's no sin, no disobedience, nothing mars the relationship between God and man. The only look Adam has ever seen on the face of God is delight, pleasure, and acceptance. The Bible says he walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He is known and loved by an omniscient, love-filled Creator, and yet the word God used to describe Him is alone. And the phrase God uses to evaluate being alone, not good. That's a staggering observation from Scripture about the importance of human relationships. Sometimes even in church circles, when people feel lonely, somebody will tell them, thinking they're doing good, well, don't expect too much from a human relationship. We'll tell people there's a void inside every human being, that it's a God-shaped void that no human can fill, only God can fill it. And by the way, that's true. But what is not mentioned is apparently there is also inside this man God made a human-shaped void that nothing else can fill. There's no substitute that will fill that need in you for human relationship, for community, not money, not achievement, not being busy. In a sense, not even God Himself can fill that void. Although Adam was in a state of sinless perfection, no guilty conscience, no false self, even though he was in a state of sinless intimacy with God, he was alone, and God said, not good. So deep connectedness and community with God and with people is what you and I were made for. It's God's design and desire for your life and mine. It is one indispensable condition for a human being to flourish, but it won't happen automatically. A writer by the name of Daniel Goldman has written a related subject, and his point is that just as people have an academic IQ that measures their intelligence, people also have RQ, or relational IQ, which is the capacity to connect with other people with genuine, genuine authenticity and compassion. People with high relational IQs are able to read other people. They can navigate difficult situations with poise. They're able to discern effectively. They can communicate well. I'll give you an example of the difference between intellectual intelligence and relational intelligence. Two guys are taking chemistry at the University of Alabama. They're so confident going into the finals that two days before the final, they decide to go up to the University of Tennessee to party. However, they stayed too long with their friends. They overslept the morning of the exam, so they didn't make it back in time. They went and told the professor they had been coming back for the exam but had a flat tire on the way back, and that's why they missed the test. Well, the professor looked at him and said, no problem. You can make up the final exam tomorrow. The two guys are absolutely relieved. They stay up all night studying. The next morning, the professor puts them in separate rooms hands them the test booklet. They look at the first problem, which was worth five points. It was simple. Man, they're happy to see the test going to be easy. They turn the page, and question number two, for 95 points, which tire? 
Yeah, that professor had relational intelligence. The boys were expected to, you know, be measured only on intellectual intelligence. Relational intelligence is basically sanctified people skills. It's the ability to connect with other people and manage relationships with effectiveness and love. Some people are very high RQ. They are. They're just genius at people skill at the relationship quotient. And some people may have a real high IQ, but low on relational intelligence. So, thought I'd give you a little quick pop quiz this morning and help you gauge your own RQ. Here's the first one. You're describing your childhood in detail to a person you just met. His eyes are glazed over and he's inching away. Question, what do you do? Here's three options. Option number one, grab him by the elbow so he can't get away till you're done. Option number two, get real close in his face. You ever have somebody violate your personal space? They don't know about space rules. Number three, look for another listener whose lack of assertiveness will allow you to trap them more easily. That's a very low relational IQ. Second scenario, you want to form a character building, soul-satisfying, heart-shaping friendship, and we all do. So where do you look? Where do you go to find people like that? Option number one, singles bar. Option two, police report, crime listings. Option number three, you waited home for an emotionally mature, honest, joy-filled stranger to knock on your door and offer to become your friend for life. You'll be waiting the rest of your life. That's called a low RQ. So let me give you three fundamental decisions before I close that relationally intelligent people make every day in order to connect deeply with people in our society. And I'd like you to reflect on your own life and make these decisions for yourself today. Decision number one, relationally intelligent people decide they're going to invest large chunks of time in relational development. They decide that whatever else is going on in their life, whatever other goals and activities they're involved in, they will invest large chunks of time to the development of deep friendships or relationships. Historically, relationally wise people have understood that need. So I'm going to read from you one of the counterculture statements right out of the Bible. It's in Acts chapter 2, and these are people who were part of the early church. It says, every day they continued to meet together. Uh, or it could be translated day after day, they continued to meet together. Now we typically read that real quick and gloss it over, but think about what that involves. They met in a temple. They met in their homes. We're told they met to worship. They met to break bread. They met to do ministry, to work together. They met to pray, to connect to God and each other. And I think far too often we try to create that first century community on a 21st century timetable, and it just doesn't work. So how often do you hear people say things like, we got to get together soon? Or if you're from Hollywood, I'll have my people call your people and we'll do lunch. Or let's make sure we do lunch in a couple of weeks when things settle down. Or I'm ready to plunge into a small group maybe this year when my schedule gets normal. 
And I think probably the greatest single barrier to developing a lot of great relationships is the pace of life. Just is. Everybody's, you go into a restaurant, you think everybody's praying, but they're all face down in an iPhone. Isn't that true? Absolutely. The whole family's down there, and everybody's got a phone everywhere. Everybody. Relationally intelligent people understand you cannot microwave friendship. You can't microwave raising kids. You can't microwave marital intimacy. You can't do the kind of things that are required to build relationships in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can't rejoice with somebody in a hurry. You can't mourn with people who mourn in a hurry. You know, connecting costs you time and energy because you have to connect with broken, imperfect people, and that takes time and energy. And honestly, in the short run, it's always easier not to connect. You know, it's just to bear the tension of a needed confrontation with another person or with a friend when you feel kind of clumsy about it and awkward takes time and effort. To break through shyness, to take conversational risks, to get to a deeper level with somebody, gosh, it takes time and effort. It just does. And in the short run, it's just a whole lot easier not to do it. Now, we might be willing to connect with perfect people who could be available only when we need them, but it's real hard to find perfect people to connect with. You and I are going to have to connect with imperfect, broken people. And, you know, we've got a hard time coming to grips with the fact, I'm sorry to tell you, that's the only kind of people there are in the world. Yeah. None of us is living the kind of life God totally intended us to live. None of us speak truth the way God intended for us to speak truth. None of us have the kind of life-giving, health-filled habits God intended for us to have. None of us have minds that think thoughts that are good and pure and noble and honorable the way God intended for us to think. None of us have mouths that speak the way God intended for us to speak. So here's a great piece of theological truth this morning. And if you don't remember anything else, this is your takeaway. Everybody's weird. Everybody is weird when you get to know them. Yeah, they're not normal. You just think so till you get to know them. And remember that. Everybody has brokenness. Everybody has habits they wish they could break. Everybody has blind spots they don't know about. Everybody has patterns they want to keep secret. Everybody has fear. Everybody has pride. Everybody has junk that just has not yet been transformed. And if you're going to connect with people, I'm sorry, you got to connect with broken, weird people because that's the only kind of people there are. And that takes time effort and energy. And in the short run, it's just a lot easier not to. And if you think you can do that in an overcrowded, overburdened, overcommitted schedule, it's not going to happen. People have to be intentional. And you know, we're pretty much, as people, we're pretty much intentional about a lot of things, about scheduling a job, scheduling your accomplishments, your chores, a trip to the dentist or doctor, grocery shopping, maybe going to the gym. But when it comes to what matters most, intimate relationships, they just let it slide day by day, month by month, year by year. And you do that long enough, and pretty soon you start to get used to living without what matters most to a human being. You live in relational, shallow waters. So you're going to need some structure, some routines to support building key relationships. Maybe it's a meal. 
I do that a couple of times a week with real good friends, and our only agenda is be together. That's it. You say, well, you just talk about the Bible. You're nuts. You wear me out on the weekend. I don't want to talk about it. We just talk about whatever comes up or whatever's going on. See? Maybe it's an activity you do together. Maybe it's fishing or golf. Maybe it's meeting on a regular basis to pray together. But it'll cost you time and some effort. Maybe it's just going to a a home group once a week or twice a month and connecting with those people. Will you make that effort? Because it won't just sneak up on you and happen. Second decision, relationally intelligent people learn to overcome the fear of rejection, the fear of being hurt. Most of us don't like to admit it, but the biggest barrier to relationships is fear of rejection. I want to be safe. What if I invite somebody out to lunch and they don't want to come? Call me. I'll go. Yeah, or maybe I'll, what if I try to organize a team of people at work, but nobody wants to be part of it? What if I join this organization, but I feel like I'm on the outside looking in? What if I get in a small group, but I feel like I don't really belong? And we act like kids that have never really grown up. That's the way our little ones act when we take them into their new class at school or a new Sunday school class. They're afraid. They don't know anybody. Will they like me? Will I be rejected? And you'd be amazed how often when somebody's having a conversation with you, just below the surface, they're asking, do you like me? Do you think you might want to be my friend? And when you get to that question, you get to the core of the human heart. And that's a scary question. Do you like me? Do you think we might be friends? And we use a lot of excuses just to avoid having to do it. It's a lot easier to say, I'm just too busy. It's a lot easier to say, well, I just don't have time for more relationships. It's easier to say, I don't want to go to that party. Those people bore me. It's easier to say, I don't want to cultivate friendships at work. It's too complicated and too messy. It's easier to say that than to say, I'm afraid if I reach out, I might get rejected. I'm afraid I might get hurt. I'm afraid that if I open up, I might feel pain. Well, well, folks, there ain't no way you can have a relationship with a human being on planet Earth at some point not get hurt. But there's no way you can love somebody unless you take the risk. There's just, you see what I'm saying? It's sort of sweet and sour. It's a Chinese deal. You got to, you got to take the the sweet, the sour with the sweet. It's just not possible. In our rock climbing, bungee cord jumping, day trading society, the real reason people live isolated is just plain fear. Oh, honey, let's go over to that home group. You know, they've been talking about getting connected at Summit, and we, not, we ought to go over there, and old Ralph is sitting there in his chair and thinking, yeah, now I don't want to go over there. And what Ralph's really saying is, I don't know anybody. They may not like me. I'm afraid. That's not what comes out, but that's what the deal is. And truth is, Ralph might build some of the best friendships he ever had in his life and be a great friend to somebody else that's there. But he won't take the shot at it, so you live way below your RQ potential. And I know there are people in this room, you know, you consider yourselves to be quite big risk takers. You, you may take those heart-pounding, adrenaline-pumping risks every day, vocational risks, financial risks, physical risks, you know, roll the dice big time, but you haven't taken a relational risk in years. You know, when is the last time you did something for the first time? When is the last time you reached out and made a new friend. 
you risk in all these other arenas, but when it comes to your heart, you're just scared. So if your goal is low-risk, pain-free intimacy, you chose the wrong species, and for God's sake, don't get married. Mm -hmm. If you take the risk, you're going to know pain. But if you don't take the risk, you will never know love. Yeah, your heart will be protected, safe, unbroken, undisturbed, but that sucker will get cold and hard every day until the day you die. Rick Lavoie is an educator in Greenwich, Connecticut, and this is what he writes. I'm paraphrasing it. Greenwich is a wonderful town populated by many of the movers and shakers in our society. There's a sense of comparison that often pervades this, this town, and in a sense, community is sacrificed at the altar of competition. One day I was eating at a pizza parlor with my five-year-old son. As we sat there, I couldn't help overhearing the conversation among three teenage boys in a booth behind us. They were dressed in their tennis clothes. They had just returned from a morning at their exclusive tennis club. Two of the boys were discussing the faults and flaws of another boy who wasn't in attendance. They criticized his play, his style, his appearance, and every aspect of his personality. The boy obviously suffered tremendous social isolation and rejection, so they laughed as they recited stories about his failure. At this point, one of the boys turned to the third party in that group who had been silent during the discussion, and they said, none of us ever wants to play with Mike. He's such a loser. Nobody likes Mike. Nobody will play with Mike. Why do you play with him? And the third boy responded, that's why I play with him. I love that. I love that. Do you have any idea how the power of your acceptance can change the life of another human being? Now listen, if you turn on the news and high-paid bubbleheads on CNN and Fox News will jerk you left, jerk you right, uh, and some extra left and extra right on the, on the deal, and they're paid uh, over a million bucks to incite you to, uh, to anger and rage, it's hard to walk into church and have this feeling of community and acceptance. All we talk about is what we hate, what's bad, what we're against. But I'm telling you something, when you walk into the presence of Jesus, He accepts you without condoning your behavior. So I want to tell you, I, I don't care what party you're part of in here or what political group you're part of, I, I don't even care at the moment about you're not in leadership, I don't you care about your moral stability or whatever your values may be. I, I want to be someone you would say, yeah, he's, he's my friend. I can be your friend and not agree with what you're doing. Yeah. That, that, anybody got kids? Yeah. Hello, you're already doing it. <laughs> Dear God, and when they grow up and they, got, they can vote, they're still your kids, but they'll, they'll tear your heart out. I mean, they'll make choices you'd think a blind man in a dark room could bake better than that. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, it's just terrible. I thought, what a dumb choice to make. And yet, not much you can do about it, but pray and give some advice if asked, which is rare, and to show love and acceptance. So why can't I do that for other people in here? I, I don't know what your sexual preference is or what, I know what the Bible says, and I'm going to stay with God's Word, but I'm not going to reject you. I'm glad you're here as a person. I want to be a friend to everybody. Jesus was a friend of sinners. I'll be your friend. I'm not going to be your guilt accuser. I, if I'm reading the Bible and it cuts you, sorry. I'll give you some bandages, but it's going to cut. 
I cut, I preach this Bible. I cut myself sometimes. You didn't know that, did you? You thought I glow in the dark. Ask my wife. She doesn't use me for a nightlight, that's for sure. I've got lots of flaws. But, but you know, I, I know I do, and I want to see God transform all those areas of my life. And the chances are, if you'll stay here, if you'll get, let God's Word kind of wash on you, and I don't think anybody's going to let you bring change in their life until first you're a friend. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. We get out there and we want to cut everybody, and we're not even a friend. Well, don't listen to that. The people I want to listen to are the people who, over the long haul, have loved me in spite of my flaws, love me still with them, and then they speak truth to me. It hurts, but I know they love me. It's proven. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And they'll say it in a way that's not demeaning or damning, but helpful and constructive. Can't you do that? Can't you? Well, I, you know, they're living together, and this couple over here, and that couple's homosexual over here, and they say, and what's wrong with you? You old judgmental witch, what's wrong with you? You, you know, we all, need, we all need a little bit of love and attention and acceptance. So I can accept you like Jesus did, but I don't condone what, what's going on, and I'm always going to preach what God says is the right thing to do. Well, have I ever violated anything God said? Oh, Lord God, yes. How about you? Okay, so just keep your finger in your pocket, okay? Don't be pointing at anybody else. Only, only God can fix us and change us. I know that. So I'm not up here building my great empire on, on trying to tell everybody what's wrong in the world. I think most people doing wrong know they're doing wrong. I don't think I needed anybody. I think back to my rock and roll days. I, I don't think I needed anybody to point out my flaws. I knew what I was doing. And I did it deliberately. And I knew it was wrong, just like if I see a policeman behind me with the lights on, that I've been speeding. Sir, did you know you were going 50 in a 45 mile an hour? What's my, yes sir, I did. I was hoping I wouldn't get caught. I did know. All right, so I'm just being honest with you up here, playing some silly game. Well, I hear people say all the time, well, we probably sin thousands of sins a day we don't even know about. Not me. Every one of those suckers I know, I chose them, and so did you. What stupid theology. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah, it was premeditative. <laughs> I like what, you know what made David such a great friend of God and a good heart, uh, David said, I'm the man. He didn't blame Bathsheba for hitting on him. He didn't say it's the stress of my leadership and, you know, I don't get the attention at home I need and Bathsheba, she appreciates me. He didn't say that. He never mentioned Bathsheba. He just said, I love this stuff. Sit down and be reflective about it. I'm the guy. I totally did it. Knowingly, wantingly, I did it. And you know, he suffered for that, but God forgave him and judged every king of Israel, whether he was a good king or a bad king, after David. What made David great? His humility of heart, his ability to say, I'm the guy, forgive me. And God did. And God will for you too. But if you're in denial, as my friend Chris Estes says in AA, it ain't no river in Egypt. <laughs> denial. <laughs> You got to be honest. Well, 
Well, people with high relational intelligence know about that. They make a decision about their time. They're going to invest significant amount to build great relationships. Number three and last, relationally intelligent people decide to take initiative to develop their relationships and their life. They're going to own the responsibility that if I want my relational life to be developed, I am going to have to take ownership of it and pursue it. Now, I hear people express frustration in many areas of their life like this. How come I always have to be the one to pick up the phone and make the call? How come I always have to be the one to make the first move towards somebody else? How come I have to be the one to invite other people and not have them invite me? I'm tired of doing it. Let somebody else call me first. Anybody here ever feel that way? Yeah, I think everybody has if you've lived long enough. I think everybody. There's a universal frustration inside of everybody that wishes somebody else would take the first step towards you. And if you really want to move away from relational death, relationally intelligent people understand they're going to have to overcome the temptation to wait on somebody else to take the initiative. Uh, I've been listening to the business community for quite a while, and community is a big buzzword in these days. But community or relationships don't just happen. If I want to be involved in them, I've got to be willing to give up some things. I have to be willing to offer commitment, sacrifice, freedom, and give up time. Did you know, if you're dating a guy right now, or girl, or you're engaged to somebody right now, and those commitment, sacrifice, freedom, and time, if you're potential partner is not willing already to do that, dump them. Give them back their ring and dump them. I don't even know what the protocol is on a a ring or whatever, but if that's all it costs you, baby, you escape death. That's a great thing because you are not going to be a housemaid, a babysitter, and a food provider for this guy and a bedmate. There has to be on his part as well as yours. If you're going to be in a relationship, whether it's friendship or whether it's marriage, there has to be the give up of commitment, sacrifice, freedom, and time. And if you're going to stay married, you're going to be doing this all your life right to the grave. You're going to be given up time, and you're going to make sacrifices, and you have to be committed. Well, I I plan to do that someday, so just keep living with me. My profane mind from street days would love to tell you in my vocabulary, unsanctified, what I would call that. Girls, if you had to come over to Cindy in my house and move in, You put the sucker out. You do not marry anybody who's not willing to sacrifice for you. And marriage is lots of sacrifice and lots of time and lots of effort and lots of giving up and sacrificing freedom because you love somebody. That's why God so loved the world, He gave the greatest gift He could, His only begotten Son. I mean, if you're not willing to be a giver, you're not going to make it in life or marriage or relationships or success. It's just not going to happen. And so, if they're already stingy and already demanding, you serve me, you give me, you make me happy, I'm saying, you suck. You're out of here. <laughs> well, we'll bed you down for a few days and get you on your feet. But the point is, don't demean yourself to li- be so, well, I may not get anybody like him. Well, God bless you. I hope you don't. 
uh, go find, I'll get you a couple of Labrador retrievers. They're loving, they're fuzzy, and they love to snuggle. I'll get you one of those. (laughs) I'm passionate about that. I mean, saved or unsaved, you want somebody for you. You want somebody to say, well, honey, I love you so much, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. You stay married 50 years, you'll find out there's a whole lot of, I don't want to do that, but I will do it. Why? Because I love you. I'll do for my children what I wouldn't want to go do normally, because I love them. And it always costs time and money, and always tell you, hit the grave. I think when I hit that grave, whatever that day might be, I'm going to say, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. (laughs) Any other parents out there get an amen? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you got to take the initiative over and over. But the truth is, we don't want to give up our independence or sacrifice our own agenda or expend the effort and energy that's going to be required to pursue deep, life-giving relationships. So I can't make a friendship happen, but I can open myself up to them. I can join a small group where friendship is most likely to develop. I can choose to hang out with the kind of people that I want to shape my heart. And I'm going to, if I do it, I'm going to have to overcome some barriers and passivity and the temptation to wait for somebody else to make the call. I have to reject the path of least resistance over and over and keep working on taking the initiative. But it's worth it. It's worth it because that's what you were made for. And no other accomplishment can fill that hole in your heart because it's not good to be alone. And last, maybe above all, relationally intelligent people understand how short life is. They live in the awareness that one day, like this cold, wet day, life will end. And all of these relational opportunities sitting in this room won't last forever. Maybe it's a brain tumor. Maybe it's a heart that stops beating. Nobody expected it. Maybe it's a car that misses a stop sign. It's not going to go on forever. Relationally intelligent people understand it's all about love. Jesus said this one thing, love God, love people. He said, in these two commands, all my commandments are fulfilled. Love God, love people. You get that right? Whatever else you mess up, however low you are on anybody's ladder, you get that right, you win. You get it wrong, whatever titles come after you, whatever wealth comes into your bank account, however big an office you sit in, you get this one wrong, you lose. Love God, love people, and you can do that. And when you're leaving this service in the parking lot today, let somebody in another car go ahead of you and wave at them with all five fingers. (laughs) Pray for people. And when that thought comes to your mind, when you get a leading to call somebody, to write somebody a note, to encourage somebody, to wrap your arms around somebody, don't blow off that quick, intuitive feeling. Go for it. It's your chance to love people that mean so much to God. Remember how short life is and what really matters. It's all about love. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.